Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. Dot the grovewr.org. And now, here's a word from the Lord. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, we're going to focus on verse 5. Isaiah 53, but I, I encourage you to keep your Bible open, keep your app open. Isaiah 53. And um, if anyone is calling you, saying that they can't catch us on YouTube, that's because I had a snafu with my laptop. We'll just upload this to YouTube later, so I'm uh, doing this from, a, from my phone. All right, but we're in Isaiah 53, and uh, I want to focus on verse 5. Verse 5. We're going to read throughout the text, all right? Read throughout the chapter, so it will really benefit you if you have your Bible open or another app, another device, where you can actually go along with me as we uh, uh, do the bike or shuffle through Isaiah chapter 53. But verse 5 is going to get us started. Let me read verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Amen. Amen. I want to raise the question this morning. Did it take all that? Did it take all that? I just want to raise that question, wrestle with that question. Did it, did it take all that? He was bruised for our transgressions, uh, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. We are healed. Did it take all that? I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a friend of yours, a loved one who has a cold. They just got a cold, right? I mean, just some sniffles, maybe a little bit of congestion, maybe a little bit of a cough. They just have a cold. That's, that's really it, a cold. Um, no fever, um, no dehydration, no diarrhea, no, vom- no nausea, no vomiting, no nothing, just maybe a little minor cough, uh, maybe some sniffles, and, and no fever. That's it. And uh, they come to you with this, with this, just this cold, and they say, call 911. And you ask, why? Why? What's wrong? What's wrong? They say, I, I think I have a cold. And you, I'm sure you'd be like, wait a minute, you want me to call 911? Uh, and you just have a cold? Are, do you have a fever? And they say, no. Uh, are you feeling nauseous? They say, no. Do you, are you having diarrhea? Not trying to get into your business. Uh, are you having diarrhea? They say, no. Um, uh, do you feel like you're about to pass out? No. Um, but you want me to call 911? Yeah, call 911. I got a little bit of a cough. I'm congested. Call 911. So you call 911. You call 911. The ambulance comes. The ambulance comes. The ambulance arrives, all right? And they take them, take them to the hospital, right? They take them to the hospital to treat them for this cold. And they get to the hospital and they are admitted. They're admitted. They still have nothing but a little bit of a cough and a little bit of congestion, uh, no fever, no nausea, no diarrhea, no, no nothing, no, nothing more than just a little bit of a cough, a little bit of, little bit of a little bit of congestion. And they're admitted to the hospital. Not only are they admitted to the hospital, they are, they are admitted into ICU. They're taken into ICU, and I mean, they still have nothing more than a little bit of a cough, maybe a little bit of congestion, and they are in the hospital. They've been transported in the MLM, 
and they're in the hospital. And uh, don't y'all trip now, because some of y'all kinfolk talk like that. They went in the ambulance, and they were admitted into the hospital, and they're in ICU with just a little bit of a cough, a little bit of congestion. Now, we would wonder why in the world, when, uh, why are they in the hospital with just these minor symptoms, when really they could just take some, some Vicks, some NyQuil, some DayQuil, some Theraflu, some Robitussin, and probably just be good in a couple of days. Why go through all of that transporting the ambulance, admittance into the hospital, admittance into ICU, when all they have is a little bit of a cough, a little bit of congestion. They could still go to work if they wanted to. They could still go out and exercise if they wanted to. They could still come to choir rehearsal if they wanted to. They could still preach if they wanted to. They could still come to worship if they wanted to. They could still go to the family reunion. They could still go to the wedding. They could still attend the funeral. All they have, a little bit of a cough, a little bit of congestion. That's it. Over-the-counter medicine would work just fine. But no, they're in the ambulance on the way. They're in the hospital, admitted into ICU. That's a bit much, isn't it? That's a bit much for just, for just a cough and a little bit of congestion. Now, First Lady, every now and then, my wife, Michelle Clark, every now and then will get this cough. She doesn't have one now. She doesn't have one now. But every now and then, she'll get this cough where the -the over-the-counter stuff just won't work. It just won't work. She has to go to MedStop, get prescribed some some super stuff, some super powerful stuff with vibranium in it, a little bit of codeine in it. Got to go to the drugstore. The the name brand stuff is like about $100 for a bottle like that. So we get the... Uh, we get the, uh, the generic version of the same. It's just as powerful, just as potent, just as effective. And um, but every now and then, every now and then, uh, that, that's, that's what she has to do. Over-the-counter stuff just ain't going to do it. Cough drop just ain't going to do it. Uh, over-the-counter stuff just won't work. Got to get something stronger with that vibranium in it, with some codeine in it. In, in a couple of days, she's back to normal. She's, she's regained her strength. And this has happened a couple of times in the past couple of years. You know, maybe once every couple of years or so, she'll just have this bout with this cough over the kind of stuff won't work. So I understand where sometimes that thing can get real serious, right? Like, like, like real serious. Um, I got a loved one who had a cough for a week and a half, real dry cough for a week and a half, loss of appetite. And um, so another loved one said, hey, you need to go see your doctor. Called the doctor, doctor. Said, you need to go to the emergency room, goes to the emergency, she gets admitted, gets tested, uh, had to get a little bit of oxygen, but in due time, uh, she was feeling better. She's feeling better. Still in the hospital, but feeling better. And uh, got the test results back uh, yesterday after having been admitted to the hospital Wednesday. Uh, had developed a fever over the period of time and everything. But the results came back yesterday after she was admitted Wednesday that she tested positive for COVID-19 tested positive for COVID-19. So in that circumstance, it was that serious. It was that serious where uh, there needed to be admittance into a hospital. Fever did develop. Uh, Symptoms were there for COVID-19. But just a minor cough and minor congestion. Do you need to go? You need to go to the hospital and get admitted and then get admitted into ICU? Not for just a cough. Not for just a common cold. The reason why we're looking at this text today is because There are some people who treat sin like a common cold. Like it ain't nothing serious. I don't need to go do nothing about it. I don't need to see anybody about it. Let me pause here and encourage everybody. Take this COVID-19 seriously. It is no joke. It is no joke. If you believe you have some symptoms of COVID-19, isolate yourself. Call your doctor. 
and, and you take it to the next step so that you can, you can be served by medical professionals. Uh, COVID-19 is no joke. Take it seriously. Take this social distancing seriously. Take quarantine seriously. Don't complain. Just, just hunker down and, and bear it out. But uh, some people treat sin like a common cold. Oh, ain't nothing serious, man. I just get a little something, something. Just, it's nothing, it's nothing serious. And these are the kinds of people that Isaiah, to whom Isaiah ministered. People who didn't treat, didn't treat sin serious. In fact, they treated it as if it was nothing at all. It, prophets like Isaiah would come and try to steer the people of God back towards faithful worship of a faithful God. And that's what we have in the text today. Isaiah is one of those prophets trying to steer the people of God back into faithful worship unto God, getting them to understand, you know, sin ain't nothing to play with. Sin is nothing to play with. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, we can get an idea as to how sin had impacted the people of God and what God said about his people uh, as relates to sin. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. Watch this. The whole head is sick. Uh, and the whole heart faint. And what God is saying here is painting a picture that all of Israel is jacked up. Man, y'all, y'all, it's like y'all bring no strength to the table, no, no good to the table. Y'all, y'all are jacked up from the head to the to the toe. You from the from the flow up to the uh, toe up from the flow up. You uh, just from you need a check up from the neck up. I mean, you just jacked up. All everything I could say about you is bad. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. Isaiah 1 and 6, from the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises. In other words, everywhere I look, I see wounds. Everywhere I look, I see bruises. God is saying, when I look at, look at Israel, everywhere I look, I see sickness. I see sickness. And putrefying source, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So our text today, y'all, our text today, Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah 53 uh, it uses some rather extreme language, uses some rather extreme language as it relates to sin and the suffering of this servant that God is going to send. If you back up, if you do a rewind back to Isaiah 52, verse 13, uh, you will see where Isaiah is talking about this servant, this servant. It describes a servant who will come to rescue the people of God uh, from a bondage. And so this rescue will require his suffering, his suffering. He will be despised. He will be rejected. This servant will be forsaken, wounded, beaten, and end up dying. But why? But why? Why would he have to serve his people by being despised, rejected, forsaken, wounded, beaten, uh, and even death? Why? Why such extreme measures for the rescue of God's chosen people? So this text helps us understand three things I want to share with you. We're going to raise up. It helps us understand the severity of sin. The seriousness of the servant's sacrifice and the staggering significance of our salvation. This verse, this Isaiah 53 and 5 and the other verses in the text will help us to see the severity of sin, the seriousness of the servant's sacrifice, and the staggering significance of our salvation. Let's take a closer look 
at each of these and we're going to raise up. Number one, the severity of our sin. The severity of our sin. The context of, of Isaiah uh, 53 and 5, the context surrounding it uh, will help us see the severity of our sin. Sin is not to be taken lightly as if it is nothing more serious than a common cold, right? Nothing more serious than a common cold or nothing at all. Look at it again. Look at it again. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. But he was pierced. This is a New Living Translation. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jump down to verse 11, Isaiah 53, 11. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, when God sees, the Father sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, watch this, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Verse 12, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. Well, here it is. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Sin, y'all, is extreme. Is extreme. It's nothing minor to look at lightly. It's nothing, it's nothing minor like a, like a common cold, just a cough, uh, just a little congestion, just something that a little over-the-counter cough syrup or cough drop will, will make go away. Mm -mm, it's something serious. It's something serious. And it's not to be taken lightly. And it's not to be taken lightly because sin angers, it angers a holy God. It angers a holy God. In the Garden of Eden, you can see it where Adam had sinned against God. God comes into the garden in the cool of the day. Adam, what have you done? It, it's, it angers uh, a holy God. He pronounced curses on the ground, uh, causes people to, cause all of us to be born in sin. It angers, it angers a holy God. And one thing that we got to also understand is sin, uh, sinners are guilty of violating God's law. Guilty of violating God's law. Let me pause here just for a hot second because so many of us, we're living in a society where, where we, it's, it's a bad to say that you're guilty of something. It's bad to admit guilt. You, it, so many people are reluctant to admit guilt of something, right? Um, it, it's, it's not a bad thing when you admit guilt, especially when you can be forgiven. We'll come back to that. But uh, sin, sin is a violation of God's law. It's serious. It's serious. I want to show you some symptoms of the sickness of sin. I want to show you some symptoms that, that the Apostle Paul lays out in Galatians chapter 5. Some, some symptoms of sin. It's stuff like sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Then he mentions some other sins, and I want you to look at these and, and see why they're so bad when you, when you look at them in the context of relationships. In fact, all sin is bad when you look at it in the context of relationships, whether it's in the context of your relationship with God or your, con or your context of your relationships with others, like these, like, watch this, uh, hostility is one of the symptoms that he mentions of this sin sickness, hostility. Have you seen the destructive power of hostility? Some people quarantine with spouses and children, getting all hostile. They can't handle it. That's a symptom of the sickness of sin, hostility, quarreling, right? Have you seen that? You've seen that maybe in people's homes. How about in workplaces? People, all they want to do is fuss. All they want to do is fight. Always got to stir up something. Always, no matter what happens, they stirring up something. 
you can really see how destructive and bad sin is in the context of relationships. How about this one? Here's another symptom that Paul lists. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Man, I mean, when you talk about how severe sin is, and it's not to be taken lightly, you can see sin and how it drives people to be greedy. You can see sin and how it drives people to enslave other human beings, whether they enslave other human beings because of their race or enslave young girls to be caught up in sex trafficking. That's sin. People who engage in that in any form are sick people. They're sick with the, with the sickness, with the virus of sin. You can see it. You can see it when, a, when, a, when an armed police officer brutalizes an unarmed citizen for no cause. You can see it in, in a judicial system that, that locks up uh, underprivileged people of certain races and certain socioeconomic status, while other people who may be of another race and another socioeconomic status can get away scot-free. That's sin. Sin makes you discriminate like that. Sin births racial inequities, uh, class inequities like that. Sin, sin, sin. Here's what Jesus said about sin. A couple of things Jesus said about sin. One thing Jesus said, Jesus said, uh, when you pray, pray to be forgiven of your sins and pray that you're forgiven of yours while you forgive others of theirs. That's how serious it is. Then he went on to say, if you don't forgive others of theirs, you won't be forgiven of yours. That speaks of the severity of sin. Then Jesus also taught us this in prayer. He says, pray unto the Father. Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sin makes you consumed with your will. Being delivered from sin makes you consumed with the Father's will. Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But one thing Jesus also taught us about the severity of sin that makes it so severe, y'all, is that sin can be sneaky. Sin can creep up on you. Sin, sin can be sneaky now. It, it can creep up on you. Jesus, Jesus taught that it can creep up on you. Like in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus says, judge not lest you shall be judged. He didn't teach us to not judge at all. He was saying, be careful because sin is so sneaky that you could be judging other folk for stuff they got wrong. And it could be something so minute while you have something major wrong with you. Don't make sin don't make sin. It's so sneaky. Don't allow it to drive you to pick up on what's so wrong with so many other people and you can't see what's wrong with you. That's what sin does. Then watch this. In, in John chapter 8, y'all. John chapter 8, when the Pharisees, when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus to test him to see what he would do. Here's how sneaky sin can be. It's so severe. It's so subtle. It's sneaky. Uh, these Pharisees brought this woman caught in adultery to Jesus to see how he would handle it. Jesus said to them, any of y'all without sin, cast the first stone. You're looking around. Next thing you know, they dipped. Wasn't anything they could do. They were so captivated. They were so, they thought they were so righteous. Sin made them self-righteous. That's jacked up. When you're so righteous, you look down on your nose at other people. You condemn, you condescending and condemning everybody else. Like ain't nothing wrong with you. Like you never been delivered from anything. Sin can make you do that. Then what did he tell that woman called in adultery? Now you gone. You gone now. But don't you sin anymore. Don't sin anymore. These are some things that Jesus taught. But also he came in, y'all. He, he taught repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, hand, is at hand. Sin 
is to be taken seriously. You can't get into the kingdom unless you repent of your sins. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. I'm telling you, sin is so severe. It's so sneaky. It's so subtle. It can make you, it can blind you. It can blind you. It can, it, I think at its worst, at its worst, sin is so severe, it convinces the sinner that they don't need God. Now that's when sin got you. That's when you are sick with just any other kind of symptom sin could, could produce in your life. When you don't think you need God, mm -mm, something's wrong. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 teaches us this. Here's another way to look at the severity of sin. Uh, because we're dead when we're in our sins. We're dead. Once you were dead, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin as if you were quarantined in it. Yeah, how many of us... How many of us live like we were quarantined in sin? Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. All of us. Every deacon, every preacher, every pastor, every apostle, apostle used to live like that. Every bishop used to live like that. Everybody used to live like that. Uh, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, be uh, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everybody else. Sin, y'all, has you dead, spiritually dead. It's serious because it has you dead, and it is deadly. It's deadly. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin is serious, so take it seriously. Take it seriously. If you know anyone who's living in sin, encourage them to, to take sin seriously. It's severe. It's lethal. It's deadly. It de it's deadly. So God, to deal with this sin problem, the severity of the sin problem, he promises this servant. And the second thing that we're going to see, y'all, is the seriousness of the servant's suffering. The seriousness of the servant's suffering. Sin is so severe, so it calls for a serious remedy, the suffering servant. Now, we're going to go back to Isaiah 52, 53, starting at verse 2. And we're going to see just how serious the, suffer, the servant's suffering is because it is to be a remedy of the sin that we just read about. It's to be a remedy, a vaccine for this sin. Look at verse 2. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, I believe. New Living Translation. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. Here it is. Watch this in verse 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Verse 4. Yet it was our weakness he carried. Our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Verse 9, he had done no wrong 
and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. So what we see, y'all, is that this servant is suffering so. It's not just, it's not just a tap on the hand. It's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing petty. It's nothing, it's nothing light. It's, it's, it's serious. It's serious. The servant's suffering was serious in order to do something about the severity of the sin. Let's break down verse 5. I just want to focus on verse 5 and we're going to keep it moving. Verse 5 to get a clearer understanding and appreciation of the servant's suffering. Verse 5 again, the King James Version. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. That word despised means he was shown contempt. He was shown contempt. Rejected. That word rejected, uh, that, means, that means that's in the previous verse, that he was forsaken and abandoned. He's acquainted with our sorrows. That means physical and mental anguish. He dealt with all kinds of stuff from all kinds of angles, physical and mental anguish. Now, when we talk about uh, the fifth verse where it says he was pierced for our transgression, wounded, that means he was pierced through. He, was, he wasn't just bruised like, like on the skin, uh, on, on the outer level. He was pierced through, pierced through. And we know that when Jesus was crucified, he was pierced with nails in his hands, nails in his feet. A sword in his, uh, a spear in his side, crown of thorns piercing his brow. Uh, that word transgressions, transgressions, it means rebellion. All of this was because of our rebellion. He was crushed. He was bruised for our iniquities. Uh, uh, that word iniquities means depravity. We were just totally depraved, ignorant, blind, in the dark. Nothing about us could glorify God. Nothing about us wanted God. Nothing about us could see God. Depraved. Depraved. That word wounded means pierced through. Bruised means, it's, it's a very strong Hebrew language. It means crushed to death. In other words, he didn't just suffer and go through and live to tell about it. He, was, he suffered to death, right? He suffered. Uh, they, they tried to kill him. They, their intent was to kill him. And the theological backdrop, backdrop to it, God's plan behind all of it was that this was to be a remedy for the severity of sin. For our peace he was chastised. That's what that means. And for the chastisement of our peace was the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That means for our peace he was chastised. So that we could have peace with God. Jesus was chastised, pierced, wounded, uh, uh, killed, crucified, for, so that we could have peace with God. Then it says, and with his stripes we are healed. With his stripes. We are healed. So many believers um, isolate that one phrase to only pertain to physical healing. Now, when you break down, when you break down the original language, it can be used. It can be used to pertain to physical healing. It can. It can. But when you look at everything that Isaiah is talking about, when you look at the context in which uh, that phrase fits. Uh, with his stripes, we are, we are healed. When you look at the context, it's all about sin, transgression, rebellion. He's, Isaiah is painting a picture that sin is a sickness. It is a deadly, lethal sickness. So the words that Isaiah actually penned can, can be used to apply to physical healing. But the context, the context uh, deals with spiritual healing. It's, it's, it's a greater healing. 
Can we be healed by Jesus? Yes. 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 Should we pray for healing when we're, when we're sick? Yes. Yes. But listen, this, this verse and that piece of the verse, with his stripes we are healed, has much more to do, is deeper than physical illness. To extract that one little piece of the verse and make it only apply to physical healing is like going to a funeral. And you leave the funeral and people say, oh, I'm just so sorry for the loss of your loved one. And all you talk about, oh, but the green beans at the repast were so good. Oh, you should have had them green beans at the repast. Yeah, I'm sure the green beans at the repast were good, but my heart goes out. I know how close you were to your loved one. They raised you as their own. They were there for you. They celebrated every milestone. My heart just, I just, I, just, I can only imagine how painful it is. Yeah, but oh, them green beans at the repast. Them green beans at the it's, it's just like that, where you take something that's, that's a part of it, but it's, it's, it, it's nothing to do with the, the larger meaning of it, the more significance. Jesus didn't suffer and die just so we could be healed physically. No, he didn't. Jesus did not go through all that he went through and all that mental and physical anguish, shedding all of that blood, dying for us just so that we could be healed from physical illness. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It's more meaningful than that. Much more meaningful. Much more meaningful. So these stripes, these stripes, a part of Jesus' beating is that he was whipped. He was whipped. And according to, according to, the, to the law, uh, you couldn't get any more than 40 lashes. So they would stop at 39. And so Jesus, there, there's a scripture that talks about how uh, he, he was beat across the head. He was beat uh, across, across his back. He was whipped. He was beat. His flesh was opened up and he bled from, the, from that lashing and from all the piercings. He shed his blood for you and for me. And Isaiah is saying it's, it's because he shed blood through this piercing that we can be healed from the sickness of sin. All of this happened to Jesus as he went to, went to the cross on Calvary. And the question becomes, did it take all of that? Really, did it, did it take all of that? Did it take the, the, the being despised, being rejected, being bruised, being pierced, uh, being beaten to death, being crucified? Did it, did it take all of that, being buried in the grave? Did it take all of that to remedy the sin? Was it overkill, like somebody going to the hospital in ICU when all they have is a common cold? The answer, y'all, is yeah, it took all that. It took all that. It took... It took his blood, it took, it took his shame, it took his being despised and rejected, it took his being wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, it took all of that. It took his being pierced through to the point, crushed to the point of death. It took all of that. You know, it's like, it's like asking, did the punishment fit the crime? Yeah, that punishment fit the crime. It helps us to see just how severe sin is. It took all of that that happened to him to remedy our sin sickness. The good news, y'all, is that only Jesus, only Jesus could be a suitable sacrifice for our sin. No one else, nothing else. Only Jesus could be uh, a, the sacrifice for our sins. Only Jesus could be our victorious vaccine for the sin sickness. Only Jesus could be that. In fact, what he offers is something, uh, is something much more serious than physical healing and is better sacrifice than the animals of the Old Testament, Old Testament system. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer 
uh, could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Y'all, I'm just trying to tell you that Jesus suffering for us has given us spiritual, is given us spiritual distance from the power and the penalty of sin. Just like you need social distance, you got to practice that six feet. We have spiritual distance from the power and the penalty of sin, all because of the only one suitable sacrifice of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we will be quarantined in heaven all because of him. We will be quarantined in heaven in the presence of God forever and ever. Jesus, our suffering servant, is the only victorious vaccine against the power of the sin sickness. Yeah, it took all of that. It took all of that. So what do we have then? What do we have? This text uses extreme language. Extreme language helps us understand the severity of sin, the seriousness of the servant sacrifice, and finally, the staggering significance of our salvation. The staggering significance of our salvation. We were in sin. Jesus died to save us from the sin sickness. And now we have a staggering significant salvation. Now for this text, I want to go to 1 Peter. For this point, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 25, where Peter repeats what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 53. Peter repeats it and puts it in the context of the cross, right? Here's what Peter said as he repeats uh, Isaiah 53. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 25. For God has called you to be good, or called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. So Peter is still echoing the same thing, that to be, to be healed by his stripes, we are healed by the wounds of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. We're healed from the sin sickness that was so prevalent in our lives. So prevalent. And I want us to look at this in, in light of, in light of what, how, does, how does this make the Father look? How, how, do, how do we look at our Heavenly Father uh, putting Jesus through all of this for you and for me? How, how do we look at this? Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. All right, here's, here's what makes our, our salvation so staggeringly significant. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave his life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 and 7, so God can point to us in all future generations, all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace toward, his grace and his kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. In other words, we, we are living examples, we're trophies on God's uh, shelf 
of accomplishment, his shelf of salvation. If anybody wants to know what God can do to save somebody from the from the sickness of sin, he can point at you. He could point at me. If you've been saved by the power of the blood of Jesus, you are an example of, of, of the power of God and how you can be delivered from the virus that is so lethal, so deadly, the sin virus. Then Paul goes on in Ephesians 2 and 8 and he says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. Individually and collectively, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. He has created us anew. I'm a new creation. If any man, any woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. All because of what God has done. Y'all, when we look at the suffering of Jesus and how he is our perfect remedy how he is our victorious vaccine against the severity of sin. It gives us a staggering, significant salvation because it, it makes us see God as just such a gracious, merciful God that he thought enough of you, thought enough of me to, to, to put Jesus through all of that so you and I would not have to die in our sins. Can I get a witness here today? There is a staggering significance to our salvation. It's staggering significant because I was dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Couldn't get myself out. Nobody could get me out but Jesus. No one could get me out but his sacrifice. Nothing could get me out but his blood. Nothing could get me out but the mercy and the grace of God. Nothing could help me. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, I'm about to holler at this dining room table. Y'all better hear what I'm saying. Nothing else is staggering. It's significant because it's something God did. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. It's a picture of his mercy. It's a picture of his grace. It's a picture of his love. Y'all listen, you want to talk about social distance, man, social distance. Yeah, social. that's a, that's a thing. But man, we were spiritually distant from God. We were spiritually distant from God until he moved to draw you closer. He moved to close the gap. He, closed, he, he moved so that there would be no enmity between you and him, no barriers between you and him. You were quarantined from grace until God moved in your life. My God, my God, my God. Somebody help me up in here today. God is rich in mercy, unlimited in his grace so that I could be healed from what had me distant from him. Yes, sir. That's good news. That's good news. Here's good news. So because of his son, because of his son, because of his son, I can be healed from, uh, from this death. I can be healed from sin. I can be delivered from sin's dominion. And God saved me by grace through faith. Again, did it take all of that? Did it, did it take all that mercy? Did it, did it take all of that grace from God? Paul said he's rich in mercy, rich in mercy, that we were, we were under the dominion of the devil until God, who is rich in mercy. Did it take all of that? Did it, did it take for God to have to do something to get me out of that? Did it, did it take God to have to send his only begotten son that, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Did it, did it take God doing that to get me out of sin? The answer is yeah, it took all of that. 
It took God's mercy. It took God's grace. It took God's love. And even in that whole salvation moment, that whole salvation moment, listen, it says, um, Paul said that the, that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. God even had to give you faith. He had to go that far. It took all of that. God giving you faith to trust him for your salvation. It took all of that. It took all of that. It took, it took all of that. I couldn't even believe on my own. You couldn't even believe on your own. God had to help you trust him for salvation. God had to help you believe in him for salvation. It took all of that. According to the scriptures, it took all that. And listen, if the truth is told, some of us need to testify that we were so deeply entrenched in sin. We had that thing so bad. We were so dead in our sins. It took a lot of mercy to get us off them, off that alcohol. It took a lot of grace to get us off them drugs. It took a lot of mercy to get you out of everybody's bed. It took you, it took a lot of God's grace to deliver you from, from what has such a grip on your life. Don't you act like you were born with a Bible in your hand. Don't you act like the first word out your mouth was hallelujah. Listen, you get that. Listen, you social distance yourself from me with all of that. All of us was born in sin. All of us needed the mercy and the grace of God. The only way we could have been delivered is if God, who is rich in mercy, abundant in grace, snatched us out of sin. Did it take all of that? It took all of that. For by grace are you saved through faith. It took <laughs> grace is God in motion. Grace is God in action. Grace, grace is not God just kicking back, chilling and saying, I'm going to open the door for you. No, it's God moving to open a door for you. It's God moving to make a way for you when you don't deserve it. It's God moving to save you when you don't deserve it. It's, it took all of that. Yes, it did. How many of you were so deep in something where you know, yeah, it took it took all of that. It took him moving on my behalf, manifesting his power in my life to get me out of the stuff I was in. It took all of that. It took all of that. It took all of that. And so Jesus, God so loved us. He so showed us so much mercy that, that Jesus died in our place. He died in our place. God deemed it necessary that instead of you being uh, wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. God said, I'm going to have somebody else do it for you. Instead of you being pierced through uh, with spears and crowns of thorns and nails, God said, I'm going to have somebody else do it for you. I'm going to have somebody else do it for you. That's what's so staggering and significant about my salvation. Jesus died in my place. And I know this isn't a Palm Day sermon. I know, that, I know it's Palm Day, Palm Sunday. This ain't a Palm Sunday sermon. But it's sure a sermon we need to hear. It's a word some of us need to hear. That God went that far to save you. God went that far to grab you. God went that far to have fellowship with you. God went that far to have to spend eternity with you. It took all of that. Jesus died in your place. That's what's so awesome. That's what's so significant about my salvation. Jesus changed my life. That's what's so significant about this salvation. I didn't just believe and start joining, enjoying church and start coming to church. No, Jesus changed my life. I wonder if he's changed your life. If he's changed your life, just type, he's changed my life. Just holler as a witness, Jesus has changed my life. I'm not the same. I'm not the same. I'm not the same cat who was out there doing what I was doing. I'm not the same. I'm not the, I'm not the same. And so that's significant. Anytime he changes your life like that, it's significant. Anytime he changes your world like that, it's significant. Anytime God moves in your life like that, it is significant. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. So if you don't have Jesus in your life, 
And if you don't have him as your savior, the situation you're in is serious. If you don't know Jesus and the pardon of your sins, you, listen, you're in a very dangerous position. You're in a dangerous position. According to the scriptures, you're going to spend eternity in hell. But the good news is you can be saved today. You can be saved today. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus has died for you to save you from your sins. That he was buried uh, on, on the third day and buried uh, on, the, from, from, uh, on that Friday and raised on the third day. And, and confess Jesus as Lord. And listen, according to the scriptures, you can be saved. You can be saved. And if you even want Jesus to come into your life, that's an indication that God is moving in your life. You can be saved. You can be saved. You can experience this significant salvation in your life today. And I'm telling you that Jesus is able to do something in your life where you look at your hands. Your hands will look new. You look at your feet. Your feet will. I mean, it could be so serious. You will be a changed person, a new creation. That's why some of us act the way we do in church. That's why, that's why some of us praise them the way we do in church. Is that real? Is that our deliverance? Is that real? Our love for God is that real? So that's why you see some of us praising in church. And some people ask, does it take all of that? Yeah. Yeah, it takes all of that. It take, yeah, when you see me clapping my hands, yeah, it takes all that. When you see me running, dancing, hollering, crying, it takes all of that. He changed my life. And when he's changed your life, when he's worked on your mind, worked on your heart, done such a radical transformation, it takes all that, cuz. It takes all of that. It takes every clap, every shout, every holler, every dance, every run. It takes all of that. Yes, it does. And I bet there's some people in here watching, some people streaming. That can bear witness. Yeah, it takes all of, yes, it does. Every hallelujah, every thank you, Jesus, every time I run, every time I dance, it takes all of that. Yes, yes. So listen, listen, if you want to be healed from sin, all it takes is faith. All it takes is for you to believe that you are a sinner. And God helps you with that. If you can see that you are a sinner, that you're distant from God. That you, need, that you need a Savior in your life, just ask Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, be my Savior. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.